One of the things that the Belt and Road Initiative does is finds new kinds of market activity and develops those for countries that are looking for ways to grow their economy. Oh, Perhaps there, right. are, there are other exactly, ways. Maybe there are other ways that Brazil could, because Brazil is perfectly capable already of feeding itself. And as you've pointed out previously in previous episodes, and the research shows, we produce enough food in, in the world to feed everyone. What we really need for Brazil to help mm. develop their economy or Bolivia or Paraguay is to help fi them find other ways to make profit for their people so they can develop their nation that are not where it's not required that they burn down or that they allow international companies to burn down mm. uh, rainforest or destroy rainforest for farm production. Maybe there are other industries that they could die, you know, we could divest into. Mm -hmm. And part of that divestment could be stop going to McDonald's. Sorry, McDonald's. Well, yeah. Welcome to the bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. My name is Jason Smith, and today with me is Bebe. Hi, and I'm melting, literally melting in my studio. <laughs> yeah, I think it's not just here. It's everywhere. Europe, North America, China, India, everywhere is experiencing massive heat waves. It's that time of year. Oh, yeah. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Um, we're going to be talking about <laughs> deforestation mm -hmm. yeah. today. And of course, it's a huge part of maintaining balance for our mm -hmm. environment. And this topic reminded me, I think it was just a few days ago, even the um, Israeli prime minister went to the hospital from because of uh, discomfort from a heat wave. Wow. Did you see that news? I did not. I did not notice. Yeah, Sorry. he I think he went into the hospital. Uh, was it last Saturday um, with apparent dehydration? Hmm. Maybe he was like, you know, outside in the sun for too long. Hmm. And also, uh, you know how John Kerry yeah. The um, he's in, climate. He's in China the, right now. Yeah, talking about climate issues. Mm. And I just discovered, I was kind of uh, uh, watching videos about this. His wife had a private airplane. Mm. Mm. Like he's from a really wealthy family. Right. And he was sort of uh, criticized for, for that. You know, you own a private airplane or your wife does. But I think he said she sold it, maybe out of, mm. you know, from the pressure. Anyhow, it's all related, but our focus today... Well, I mean, what is the state of our forest growth? Because I, I look at um, China a lot, and China's constantly adding new forests, afforestation, and regrowing old forest, reforestation. But while countries like China and Vietnam, even Vietnam, is actually statistically more trees per square uh, you know, hectare, or however you want to measure it, but China is actually much larger, so China's doing more, are both afforesting, even India is afforesting, and reforesting at impressive rates. But it's not enough to make for the make up for the deforestation happening elsewhere. A new study by Global Forest Review shows that deforestation in the past three years is raging at full speed ahead, and that this will obviously contribute to accelerating climate mm -hmm. change and more extreme weather. And when we talk about climate yeah. change, it's not just about getting hotter. Um, I think what's more crazy is that there will be more extreme weather, yeah. like weather conditions. Because with mm -hmm. the heat, I guess, you know, it's just the summer. Once uh, autumn arrives, things will cool down. And then people might forget about, you know, heat waves and climate change. Yeah, but, every year. Yeah, but then, you know, watch out the um, flooding that's going on around the world. And also... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Chongqing flooded the day after I left. It was crazy. Oh, okay. Um, maybe you should have stayed for a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. And also just other kinds of uh, extreme weathers, like tornadoes. I think those are scarier. I mean, the heat, mm -hmm. I, I, we can just say still, you know, there are other ways to deal with this. Um, for now, for now. Mm. Okay, so about forest coverage around the world. What are the numbers? Yeah, well, I have some data here, as you would expect. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of boring with data. This is top 10 countries for reduction in primary forest loss. So I know that that sounds backwards. So I'm going to translate that for you. These places are adding forest 
So it's reduction in primary forest loss. They're planting so, more trees. Per, yes. So Indonesia, Costa Rica, China, Malaysia, Cote d'Ivoire, Vietnam, Gabon, Madagascar, Nicaragua, and Equatorial Guinea. So these are the total percentages mm. that they have reduced primary forest loss. So uh, this is their percentage. But you have to remember when you look at these numbers, China is bigger. Oh. So China is actually contributing a, a lot more total uh, forest growth than Indonesia. Indo Indonesia is just doing a better job of it mm. per square acre or whatever, however you want to measure it. Uh, that's a really good point to make. So we do have some hopeful signs, mm. but what about the negative side of it? Like how severe is the problem? Well, I think the problem side of things, and I don't want to point fingers, and I want to qualify this because, it, you know, this is very complicated. You know, Brazil wanted to grow its economy and they needed more farmland for their people to develop their economy. So they had good reasons for deforesting for the people in Brazil. They were basically keeping all of these rainforests for the rest of the planet to be the lungs of the planet. But the reality is that they were underdeveloped and they wanted to develop more. But in the reality is, yes, Brazil, in fact, is the crisis point in the world. And in the last five years or so, deforestation has just gone off track there. And it's really quite bad. And it's going to affect all of us. Some ideas actually being put forward by world leaders are, let's pay countries like Brazil to not deforest. We'll give them some kind of international stipend to help their economy. And then they would stop deforesting. And in a lot of cases, they're not actually just doing it for wood. They're just burning parts of the forest down so that they can grow because farmers just want to get on that land and they may not know much about actually harvesting the wood. So top countries for primary tropical forest loss are Brazil, DR Congo, Bolivia, Indonesia, Peru, and Colombia. But by far, Brazil is, it's about three Congo, DR Congos, Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, I've been thinking while I was uh, reading these numbers, I've been thinking about the real reasons behind it. I mean, mm -hmm. if they are clearing all this land just for food to feed mm -hmm. its domestic population, I mm -hmm. mean, of course, that sounds very reasonable. But I don't think that's the real picture. Mm -hmm. I mean, people have lived in Brazil forever, mm -hmm. right? And now they're clearing they have to cut down their Amazon forest for food. Ex export. There must be some change. Mm -hmm. And actually, what I found is it's not about like staples, rice or wheat and things like that, like for feeding large populations. Um, they are being cut down because of the cattle industry mm -hmm. uh, and also for growing uh, soybeans mm -hmm. to feed cattle and also, I guess, humans. So I found an article about the companies behind the burning of the Amazon. That's the title of the um, of the article. And mm -hmm. it's from MightyEarth.org. Mm. And for people who are interested, um, please check out this website. Mm -hmm. So this article came out in August of 2019 called The Companies Behind the Burning of the Amazon. And it's from the website called MightyEarth.org. And for people who um, you know re really care about the environment, I think this is a site that's worth a visit. And this article came out in August of 2019. It's been a few years, but I think it still uh, makes a lot of sense. So it goes um, deep into the incentives for the destruction of uh, the forest, like especially the Amazon. Why are people doing it now? And it says the main incentives, they come from large scale international meat and soy animal feed companies mm -hmm. like JBS and Cargill. And also global brands like Stop and Shop, um, Costco, McDonald's. Walmart, Walmart, and also ASDA, I guess that's another yeah, yeah. Uh, chain shop. And also Cisco was spelled as S-Y-S-C-O. That buy from these um, food companies or feed companies and then sell them to the public. So it is these companies that have been creating the international demand mm. that finances the fires and also the um, deforestation. And also because of its um, mm -hmm. transnational nature, their impact can be seen across countries. And their destruction is not confined to Brazil, although the, Brazil is probably more in the spotlight. Uh, just over the border in the uh, Bolivian Amazon, mm -hmm. 2.5 million acres have been burned, mm -hmm. largely to clear land for new cattle 
and soy animal feed plantations. And also Paraguay, they're also experiencing, they were also experiencing similar def- devastation. I mean, this is from a few uh. years ago. I'm not too sure about the situation there right now. And also the reason for that, uh, the both domestic and international demand for beef and leather has fueled the expansion of um, the cattle industry into the Amazon. Uh-huh. And uh, the numbers I have here is from 1993 to 2013, the cattle herd in the Amazon expanded by almost 200%, mm. reaching 60 million head of heads of cattle. And deforestation for cattle uh, has been reduced. A new wave of deforestation in the year of 2019 shows that uh, these large international beef and leather companies and their consumers and their financiers continue to create markets for deforestation-based cattle. And, uh, you know, the reason I'm sharing this, um, I don't think you and I or most of our listeners can do anything directly about these international companies. It, wouldn't it be reducing our dependence on beef-based products like yeah. consuming meat or uh, leather products? Wouldn't that help? Right, because that would definitely help. I mean, it, they won't. these companies won't be too happy. But I mean, I, we don't have the political or right. financial power to engage with these companies directly. Uh, although, you know, the damage they do to the world is way beyond this. But what we can do as consumers is actually to uh, at least to be aware that my choice of consuming a bit more beef like more a few more steaks uh, every month will actually impact the environment and i've read in these uh, articles um this and the other ones time and time again that beef consumption and of course leather you know on the sidelines of that is very very damaging for the environment it takes a lot of energy to raise the cattles uh, for meat. Mm. And as you know, it sounds pretty funny. They, you know, pass gas. They pass so much gas, yeah, into the air that we can, we could probably literally use that as a form of energy. Some people actually do use it as a form of energy. (laughs) I've read that somewhere too. I've seen articles. Oh, I've seen videos of um, um, people, they actually drill a little hole what? I think on the side of the tummy of the cattle, and it slowly releases the air, the gas inside, and it's used to... There's another probably... way to do it, actually. There's <laughs> simply a balloon diaper device oh. that, is a, that is attached to the cow so that every time it Pass gas. defecates... <laughs> And passes gas, the methane enters into the balloon, which then you can hook up to your house mm. and wow. you know, cook with fire that came from the animal. You know, people have been cooking with um, cow dung, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Is that sure. what you call right. it? Like yeah. they made it into a cake, drying on the side of the walls. They've been using that for as far as humans have lived, I suppose. Yeah, it doesn't even so, need processing. If you just pick one up that's old enough and dry enough, it burns yeah. really easily. Yeah. And they say that because it's all plant based like it doesn't really smell bad it's it's not like you know gross as like ours so anyhow the 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 point i'm sharing all this is so that we are we as consumers are aware that there are things we can do choices we can make um to help uh, the situation and uh and also so there are rules regulating these international meat and soy animal feed companies Mm -hmm. saying that you know you should limit the source of your uh, meat or products from areas where cattle were raised on deforested land, mm. but they have found ways to bypass that. Have you heard of the term called laundering cattle? Wow, I- I'm, I'm eager to learn. Cattle? Okay, so you've heard of money laundering. Am I saying that right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Like we call money it like laundering. money washing. Yeah. Um, and there's similar things have been happening with cattle, like you, on the map of some of the these um, areas, you can see clusters of um, deforestation near slaughterhouses mm. and roads that have access to slaughterhouses. I mean, this makes total sense, right, from the point of mm-hmm. these uh, meat packers. And uh, JBS, I mentioned, and also Brazil's largest meat packer and the world's largest meat company, they signed this uh, moratorium. Mm-hmm. It's called it's like it's called 2009 cattle moratorium, mm-hmm. pledging not to buy beef from cattle connected to deforestation. Mm-hmm. But later, investigations by gov- by the government and also NGOs have repeatedly found that they violated this through laundering cattle, like they would uh, raise the cattle in areas. Areas um, 
where they've deforested before. Mm -hmm. And then they transport these cattle to farms that do not violate this. Mm -hmm. And then they say they're buying from these farms that do not violate wow. the rules. So for them, for them, it's just like one more step. Yeah. And they've been found out, but you know, not as happy to uh, make changes to this. So uh, in one of the scandals, it's called cold meat scandal in 2017, uh, in which the Brazilian government enforcement agencies produced extensive evidence showing that JBS was sourcing cattle from protected areas. They were buying laundered, cattle that have been raised in areas linked to deforestation and then transported to so-called clean ranches mm. so they can bypass these requirements. So, you know, things like that happening, similar things happening in the soy, soy supply chain, like for soybeans. Mm -hmm. um, and I do have the name. There are a lot more details to this, um, but you guys can go on the website. But I do want to share some of the names of these um, biggest companies. Please do. So several brands stand out for their contracts and relationships with um, suppliers most responsible for deforestation. Uh, the number one on the list is a Netherlands-based supermarket powerhouse. It's called A Hold Del Hayes. Probably not pronouncing it right, but... They own the brands we are familiar with. One of them is Stop and Shop mm -hmm. and Giant, Food Lion, and Hannah Ford. These are the ones in the United States. And then they have others across Europe, mm -hmm. but it's all under this one company. So they, mm -hmm. you know, they tout their sustainability commitments, but they continue to sell uh, products from some of the worst companies in the world. Um, and even, you know, for Cargill, uh, one of the biggest food companies, mm -hmm. they have ongoing child labor issues and their heavy role in deforestation across South uh, America, but they're still selling like through Stop and Shop, which I, I, you know, I've i seen them in the U.S. And also second on the list is uh, McDonald's. Yeah. I guess we're not I'm surprised. Not surprised. <laughs> I knew that actually, that McDonald's uh, sourced a lot of their yeah. beef from South America. In fact, they own some of their own companies down there to help process it. It's probably a complicated network, um, but it's probably Cargill's largest and most important consumer. Um, and it's uh, the restaurants, like McDonald's restaurants, are essentially storefronts for Cargill, mm. um, it says in this article. Uh, Cargill not only provides chicken and beef to McDonald's, they prepare and freeze the burgers and McNuggets, which uh, McDonald's simply reheats and serves. So you think your food... So we're just we're really going to Cargill. <laughs> in a way, yes. And just uh, on a side note... Um, I want to promote this book, which is called The Omnivore's Dilemma. Yeah, yeah. I've heard uh, of it. It's a very famous book. Yeah, it's, it's great. I think everyone should read this. The subtitle is The Search for a Perfect Meal in a Fast Food World. It's by Michael Pollan. And after you read this book, you will not touch McNuggets or chicken nuggets again. Mm. Like, not is it connected to deforestation, things like that, but these are barely like normal food anymore. They are so quote unquote sophisticated. Like they've um, been manufactured. Like one simple nuggets probably have hundreds of ingredients in it. And you think it's chicken plus some salt and pepper. It is so not the case. So that book has helped me to stay away from McDonald's pretty much for good. <laughs> okay, so down the list, the third company related, you know, responsible for deforestation is called Cisco or Cisco, S-Y-S-C-O. Mm -hmm. It's the world's largest distributor of food products to restaurants, healthcare facilities, universities, hotels, and inns. So maybe not for like everyday consumption, but still. Mm -hmm. And then Costco, uh, both JBS and Cargill list Costco as one of their top customers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people enjoy shopping at Costco, and I do too, you know, whenever I visit the U.S. I think it's nice, it's cool, and they have samples. Um, but one thing about Costco is that I, I think it kind of makes people buy more than they need, mm -hmm. in a way, because it's uh, so much cheaper. And after a while, I think people tend to consume more, mm. like we eat more than we need, mm -hmm. and also we waste more than we should. So anyhow, that's... Uh, uh, another side comment. So Costco conducted $1.43 billion worth of business with JBS in, 19, in 2019 alone. Mm. And then down the list, Burger King, uh, Restaurants Brands International. So Burger King is part of uh, a Restaurant Brands International chain that also includes Tim Hortons and Popeyes. Mm. So you can, the interesting thing about these um, international companies is that you can trace all of them to like one 
or two, you know, just like a handful of mm. big guys that are literally, you know, controlling the whole world, like pulling strings on a puppet. It's a little bit scary, you know, when you find out about this. And also down the list, Nestle from Switzerland, which is the largest food and beverage company in the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. It's among the first companies to make a zero deforestation commitments. So they made this commitments, you know, to do no deforestation, mm -hmm. but they only started monitoring its supply chains nine years later in 2019 and only for palm oil, not for soy or for pulp or paper. Mm. And um, recently certifying 77% of its supply chain as deforestation free, Nestle continues to buy from Cargill for its pet food subsidiary. And then down the list, more uh, Carrefour. So it's a supermarket mm -hmm. chain. Yeah, um, from, they have them here in Beijing. Yeah, it's, uh, we see a lot of them. So they also uh, have not been following deforestation rules uh, as much. And 35% of the beef and beef products is sampled came from slaughterhouses located within legal Amazon, um, including a 2.3% from high-risk slaughterhouses. And then uh, Cassie, Casino, is, I don't know, that's like a French supermarket giant. I've never heard of it. Maybe I'm not reading no. it right. And also Walmart, among others, like the single largest company in the world by revenue and the largest private employer um, with large presence everywhere. So these big guys, if they are not doing their part, they're not holding up their part of the responsibility, you know, uh, basically the whole world is impacted. Yeah. So some of these companies. Hmm. I mean, that's absolutely fascinating. I didn't know most of what you just said, so that was really, really informative. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. I have basic questions about you and me and like normal people. So does this mean that we should all become vegetarians? What, what about you, baby? What do you think? I've actually thought about this and debated about this for years. And I did try for a period of time, but I was not feeling very well. Like I had some health issues. I don't think it was because of my diet, mm. uh, st strictly my diet. I think I just wasn't I didn't have a very balanced, like didn't consume enough protein. So I started eating more eggs, mm. and a little bit more cheese, and also a little bit more meat. I don't eat like that much in general, um, but I've been adding a little bit more meat mm. just so that I can have more protein intake. Um, I've, I've also been consuming more beans. Like my husband is, mm -hmm. is all about <laughs> beans. <laughs> he's like, he's like, well, let's start the day with a pot of like Chinese congee, like boiled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the Chinese usually has rice and everything in it. But my, my husband is like, rice, too much sugar, just boil beans. So, you know, we would start the day with a, a medium sized pot of uh, red beans like mixed red beans, black beans. In the summer, you can add a little bit of green beans. And also uh, I put in a little bit of uh, soybean just so, you know, it's it's good for uh, females. So more beans, yeah. I struggle with the idea. I mean, I was a vegetarian for about three or four years when I was in university. Wow. And it was challenging for me and I, I ended up quitting. Mm. And now I eat a lot of meat. Mm. But I, don't, I wouldn't mind giving up beef if I knew that chicken was an alternative that was like okay or something. Mm -hmm. um, because when I hear about fossil fuel emissions being related to the consumption of meat. It's always beef that gets brought up. But as we all know, there are an enormous amount of pork and chicken and beef consumed around the world, as well as I'm sure lots of kinds of seafood. So do you happen to know if it's a better choice to choose other kinds of meat? Or are all these different kinds of meat going to contribute to deforestation and global warming and carbon emissions? Because it seems like you could be in the desert and feed chicken, right? Soybeans. You don't have to burn anything down. They could even be in kind of a forest and you could feed the chickens and still harvest them. Yes, exactly. And eggs. Eggs are good. I mean, for protein consumption, you know, eggs is uh, superb. But I, I mean, cattle, it's notorious for its damage to the environment. Mm. Even before I heard of the word uh, deforestation, you know, I've heard about how much more it takes to you know, produce uh, beef instead of the other kinds of uh, uh, meat. 
I mean, China mostly in China people eat、uh, pork mainly, and then beef and lamb is kind of like a little bit on the sideline. And people in western part of the country they will consume a little bit more lamb or beef、uh, due to religious reasons and also. A lot of lamb, exactly. There was a lot of lamb in Xinjiang.、Mm. I noticed. I, I went to a, a sheep farm, and they had a、uh, process where they were able to take mothers, and they were able to have、oh. two litters、uh, a year. So they were able to increase the production.、Mm. Also, we went to several markets, and you could tell almost everything there was. Lamb related, although there was quite a bit of camel milk too. Camel milk, ah, okay, maybe not, but I, I mean, it's really good. It's sour but good. It's sour. <laughs> it's a little I don't know. Sour, I just,、yeah. I just don't want to drink anything from camels. <laughs> just feels weird. But anyhow, so I'm actually、uh, pretty conscious of it. I try not to eat. Uh, beef as much.、Um, I don't re- even remember you know, last time we cooked beef. It, first of all, it's harder to cook. It takes longer,、mm-hmm. and it's more expensive. And also,、um, from another angle,、uh, like cows, they are. It's it's like they have more feelings to them, you know. Like they are more aware of. We can empathize with them more because they have more. They're more expressive. They're more expressive. They have feelings, yeah. You know, for example, in Chinese culture, agriculture, people are very fond of、um, cattle or what do you call it? What's the the ox? Right, ox. Right,、mm. because they、mm-hmm. help farmers farm. Even today, in more like in smaller patches of land, especially for、um, like growing rice. Where you know everything is in mud,、mm-hmm. um, a lot of farms, like small family farms, still have their own ox to help them pull the cart. I'm sort of surprised. I've never seen that. Oh, I have seen a lot of、um, ox, oxen, and、uh, related animals when I was in Shizong.、Uh, water buffaloes. Just, but they're、yeah. just randomly roaming across the road. More like you know, you know what's really interesting.、Mm. I, I know that I'm a little off topic. I'll bring it back. Sure. In in Shizong, there are it seems animals everywhere that don't seem to. Belong there. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> They don't have a job. <laughs> so, like, what I mean is, you're like in the middle of the forest, and you know, like, just randomly, there'll be like a whole bunch of ox and a bunch of sheep or whatever. There's no fence. <laughs> there's no human being there. They are. They're just walking around, or they're just wild horses running、uh, through the hills sometimes for no apparent reason. Not anywhere near where there's a village or anything. It's it's very interesting. You were the odd one. They they were just <laughs> home. <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, yeah, but it, it's very, very strange. But you even be in a village, like a farming village, and there are ox everywhere, just walking around. <laughs> I always wonder, how do they know which ox is whose? Or like, do they even belong to like specific families? If they're wild, they're wild. Maybe、yeah. not. In some cases, maybe they're just. Hanging out, and they're like, "Wow, this village is interesting. <laughs> this is where、Maybe. I get my grass." Well, <laughs> that、know? sounds pretty nice, actually.、Um, you know, a harmonious ex- coexistence between animals and humans.、Um, but I was wait, what? Are,、oh, okay, so about ox and water buffaloes, and you know, because in traditional、mm-hmm. agriculture in China,、uh, they've all always been a part of the labor force in a way. So people have a very strong emotional attachments、um, to these animals. I think there's even a saying in Chinese that goes like, "Don't ever kill and eat your ox, and don't ever kill your watchdog." Like these are two、mm. particular animals that people, at least in China, have very strong. They're useful tools in the farm. Not just used for tools, but it's um they've been working for you for decades. You know, they live、mm. like ox and water buffaloes. They live for a long time, and usually they are like kids in the family grow up with them.、Mm. You know, a lot of kids back in the days, their day job was to roam the water buffaloes or the ox, so they get feeding herd herd. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. So they're like part of the family, and they are they have such. Um, kind and endurant personality, if you can call it that, right? They never complain, and they are very devoted to the family. Both, you know, your dog and、uh, your your buffaloes. So, in Chinese culture, there's this strong attachment. Like, for example, my nanny,、uh, my the the first nanny we had for our daughter, she did not eat、uh, beef. And、uh, when I ask her why, she's like, "Oh, you know, I grew up on a farm, and all of our families we have cows, oxen, and to help us farm. And I just never thought that I would ever eat them. You know, they are、uh, like they they are part of the family, are equal,、mm. and they've worked so hard、um, for the human community. You know, I can't do anything like that. And that left a strong impression 
um, for me. And I, I think that sentiment is shared by a lot of people, especially people who engage in farming. So I try to consume less beef, steak and things like that. The pigs, I, I don't have as much of a <laughs> strong... <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, people are capable of adjusting their diets when they feel that it's in their own interest. Right. For example, right, right now, uh, Japan is threatening to release its nuclear wastewater, mm. which is, doesn't just have um, tritium in it. it has, it's been found to have other extremely radioactive substances in it that are even already arriving in California. So um, a lot of people already said, okay, there are a lot of different kinds of seafood I'm giving up. Mm. You know, people in in Korea, people in California, people in in China, people in Hong Kong. There's a big movement in Hong Kong right now to give up most uh, food imports of all kinds from Japan. Mm. But if people can change their attitude and decide they don't want to eat prawns, for example, then why can't they change their attitude and decide to maybe just even eat less beef because you know your your example is exactly like my brother robert who listens to the show hmm. he is exactly like you hi robert he's not yeah exactly hi robert he's not a vegetarian mm. but he eats very little meat mm. he's like a. it's just okay i'll have a little bit of that or maybe i won't have any for these couple of days but i'll have it on this other day but just l- less of it or whatever he's conscious of this yeah he, yeah exactly so he consumes a lot less if you brought brought him robert to mcdonald's i don't think he would eat anything at all because he'd probably be grossed out that's smart that's smart <laughs> yeah but that yeah. is the kind of, you know, that's a kind of change we can all take. Not totally. necessarily everyone just becoming vegetarians because you're a lot of people are just going to be like, no. Mm. But people could manage their diets a little bit to veer away from some of the things that are harming our world and us. Right. And, you know, we will find out that, hey, you know, I can survive without that steak, right? And also I can stay yeah. just as healthy, consuming a little bit more like tofu um, or eggs. You know, eggs are okay, right? Um, it's It provides all the nutrient, you know, you need. Well, I got to say, personally, I like chicken. Mm. Um, and in China, one thing that I have a strategic advantage that I've always been very happy about, you guys seem to hate chicken breast. So... <laughs> It's really cheap here. I mean, it's like a full one fifth the cost in China as 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 it is in the United States. It tastes like wood. Oh no, not that's not the way I prepare it. But anyways, I go to the grocery store and I'm the and there's just like, oh man, we still have all these chicken breasts. What are we gonna do? And then Jason shows up and like, yeah, so, he's here. Like a lot of Chinese people would rather eat chicken feet than chicken breast meat. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. It's like absolutely. one of the mysteries, right? If the same thing in the U.S. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. So, yes, I, you know, um, the point of us sharing this, we don't we can't stop deforestation. Right. You and I, Jason. Uh, mm. But we have power right. as consumers to adjust our uh, consumption. Right. If like leather products. I I have not bought any like leather products for a long time, and I don't see the point of buying them. You know, shoes, uh, the plastic ones I'm wearing in the summer works; they work just fine. And also bags, um, I don't need. I, I don't see the need to buy a lot of weather uh, leather. You know, the products using leather. So just being a little bit more conscious will make changes on individual basis. I never really understood how leather was consumed by so much, so many people. I think the only thing I have in my entire life that is leather is my belt, which I've had for like five years. Like, nice. Hmm. I don't see like, uh, you know, you don't see a lot of leather jackets in Beijing. Is there somewhere else in the world that where, where is all this leather going? I don't see a lot of leather. I think a lot of uh, handbags mm. and shoes, mm. right? I thought shoes were made out of like, I don't know, plastic and oil or something. I know they're getting weird these days, <laughs> like all kinds of synthetic materials, which hopefully mm. are okay for the environment, though I'm not too sure. I think if you just wait 10 or 20,000 years, it's not a problem. Well, I don't know. Some, <laughs> some things like they stay in the environment forever. But when it comes to leather mm. and meat, there is an emotional side to it. You know, you a, a life was sacrificed for this end product. So I think at least we should be aware of that and not waste as much or not consume as much if if it's not, you know, absolutely necessary. Mm. So all this is related to deforestation, although, it's, you know, we haven't. Well, I mean, I also wanted to talk because, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of the show that John Kerry's here and everyone, when they think of John Kerry, they think of a person who at least talks about how much he wants to improve the environment. I don't want to say more, more than that, but, he, you mm. know, he's a controversial figure. Mm. But China is doing 
a lot to protect, you know, the environment and to reduce emissions of, of fossil fuels. Right. And I'm I'm on the internet every day arguing the facts to people who are talking, I don't know, they read propaganda or they're making propaganda. And so I wanted to go over some of the statistics sure. uh, because I think it's not really well understood. So this is global solar PV module production. That means solar panels. Mm. Who makes them? China. China makes more than Vietnam, Malaysia, India, Korea, United States, and most of the rest of the world combined times about five. Mm. So if you want solar panels, China's the one who's making them. China spent four times as much on what they call green energy transition investment, according to Bloomberg in 2022, as did the United States. In fact, it was spent more than the rest of the world mm. combined. So I know a lot of people who don't know better think of China for some reason and think that it is this major fossil fuel emitting uh, people, but it's not. The, the thing is, China is roughly 20% of the world's population. Mm -hmm. So when, if you put the entire, all of the emissions from every single person together, you get a, a large number. But mm. if you actually compared it to the United States, if it was four times the population, the United States would be emitting like three times the fossil fuels mm. because the per capita emission in Canada, Australia, Saudi Arabia, the United States, and some other countries is like 10 times more than China per capita. That means individual people. So yeah, Yes, deforestation is a global issue, but China is actually mm. adding more trees if we're just going to look at that right. angle, afforestation and reforestation, than any other country in the world in its total. Maybe not as a percentage of its total square foot or square hectares or however you want to measure it, but China is a huge part of the solution. If China could export this behavior to other places and we could get other countries, even countries who mm. have large existing forest cover, like the United States has large amounts of existing forest cover, that doesn't mean that there are not places it can grow. There are tons of more places that the United States could add more trees, Europe could add more trees. You know, we could even... If we did cut back on um, the consumption of some kinds of products, we could regrow mm. uh, forest in places like Brazil, Bolivia, etc. Now, here's the thing, and this has been brought up by uh, UN General Secretaries, is that the forest that has been wiped off of the planet in right. the Amazon cannot be replaced. You could grow forest there where forest was once there, and you could even try to use a lot of the same species, mm. but it would literally take you know, generations and generations and generations for it to get back to the same right. level of natural growth that existed. The best thing that we can do, all of us, humanity, is to stop destroying natural forests now before yeah. it gets a lot worse. I totally agree. But I also see the dilemma facing, you know, countries like Brazil, because mm -hmm. like Brazil is still struggling with uh, poverty reduction. Yeah. And other South American countries, what they are worried about or the more pressing issue is feeding its own population, make sure that, you know, most people can have at least three meals a day. Mm -hmm. That's a different concern for uh, like developed countries. You know, while developed countries are talking about how can we sell more beef to more people, mm -hmm. right? And um, to make more profit. It's hard to turn around and point your finger at Brazil and say, hey, you got to cut down less of your forests. And also at the same time, a lot of their decisions are probably um, not in their own hands. You know, these are mm -hmm. de decisions made by international corporations, mm -hmm. the few uh, that I, we, we just mentioned. They want to have more profit. They probably own a lot of the land. I'm not too sure the details behind it, but I'm just saying that maybe these um, like South American countries don't have the power to take as much control of the situation as possible. And you've mentioned that there are suggestions as to, is there a way of um, maybe compensating these countries? It sounds like there will be. I was thinking another solution because one of the things that the Belt and Road Initiative does is finds new kinds of market activities activity and develops those for countries that are looking for ways to grow their economy. Oh, Perhaps there, right. are, there are other exactly, ways. Maybe there grow. are other ways that Brazil could, because Brazil is perfectly capable already of feeding itself. And as you've pointed out previously in previous episodes, and the research shows, we produce enough food in, in the world to feed everyone. What we really need for Brazil to help mm -hmm. develop their economy or 
Bolivia or Paraguay is to help them find other ways to make profit for their people so they can develop their nation that are not where it's not required that they burn down or that they allow international companies to burn down Mm. uh, rainforest or destroy rainforest for farm production. Maybe there are other industries that they could die, you know, we could divest into. Mm -hmm. And part of that divestment could be stop going to McDonald's. Sorry, McDonald's. Well, yeah. And and also, (laughs) you know, what's frustrating for me, Jason, is that uh, a lot of the big issues that are kind of threatening the world, like food crisis, uh, which we talked about probably a a few shows back, and also environmental issues. Like, at the end, it always points out to these few huge, huge conglomerates uh, or huge companies mm. who have... It keeps coming up. It's a running theme. Yeah, it go, it, <laughs> like at the end of the tunnel, there they are. And they are the ones uh, controlling these resources. Um, they are the ones who has the power, you know, to push the yes or no buttons. And they always push the button for making more profit. Yeah. And we, as nobodies... We there's so little we can do besides controlling or changing, de- de- de, you know, our own behaviors. And it's very frustrating because they have become so powerful that they've bought governments, literally. Mm-hmm. You know, the governments work in their favor. It's like they're working for them. They're like puppets. Yeah. So what can we do? You know, like we we can do all these studies and it will point out it will point to these companies. And their goal is to, you know, make more, make people want more meat, make people want more leather, uh, make people want a higher standard of life, and they can sell these things to them. And they'll probably just, you know, leave some crumbs for the locals, Mm -hmm. right, in Brazil or other South American countries, so that they have jobs that's literally, I don't know, subsistence level, mm-hmm. while these companies make most of the profit. Mm-hmm. This is crazy. Our world is so, oh, oh my gosh. Well, I, I don't want you to get overwhelmed because I was reading. But it is about, overwhelming um, in a way, right? I, I was reading an article, I don't have it with me, about uh, green fatigue. Mm. People like you and me who spend all day, every day thinking about these issues. It's important for us to not just say, oh, we're the little person, but also right. to say that again. We are just uh, this little person. So even though we can we can change our own behaviors like using I'm using a uh, the same steel uh, water cup that I've been using for the last two years we can't regrow the rainforest that's not <laughs> not something baby and Jason nice. are going to be able to do so you have to all, in addition to the fact that we realize that we are insignificant realize you know you have to embrace that insignificance in a, in a way and let go that you know we're not going to change everything you and me just like you just said mm. but it, saying the same thing in a different light from a different angle looking at it oh we can't do anything about it too we can only do very little about it is okay but when we come together there are billions and billions of us yeah. <laughs> the problem is for me with that argument is that uh i i realize that these huge companies they also control or related to the same entities that control media so that's why why when exactly that's when you're like in america Mm -hmm. or france or mexico or china you turn the tv on and you see the mcdonald's logo and hamburgers spinning slowly sizzling it's probably not (laughs) even real food it's like fake things to look like real food and the banner says from mcdonald's we're just heating this up (laughs) for you we're just reheating the reality is they can make billions of people want to consume more of their product so yeah we are billions of people but we're also billions of people who are ignorant in a way of the truth. Uh, I'm yeah. just going to say it. Yeah, I guess that's that's not, that's all we can do. You can you can do you and I mm. can do me and we can also make this show and maybe help, you know, a few thousand or a few tens of thousands of people change their behavior. But, you know, billions of people, um, I, we just don't have that big of a show unless everybody at home recommends us to like 50 friends, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Jason is getting at. Yeah. But, you know, th- this is also why in my book club, I'm going to share with my fellow book clubbers the book the omnivore's dilemma. Mm. I mean, it's not just about like where our food come from, like come from or Mm -hmm. uh, the impact on the environment. It's also about what we are actually consuming. And you will be shocked at the food that you've been eating for decades. You know, it's like literally like not food anymore. (laughs) They are like manufactured plastic. They're tasty plastic. They're even, I don't know if this project has already uh, been finished or if they're successful, but I think it was 
is toward the end of the book. Um, it's saying that, you know, these companies that have been trying to make food that tastes good, but can't be digested. What? Because people, we care so much about how things taste. You know, you, we have to admit that we don't just we don't eat just because we're hungry right right we eat because oh i want something tasty in my mouth yeah. i want something stimulating i think maybe like 30 percent of the reason why we eat is because we're hungry mm. right so like you know they've come up with what if we make certain kinds of food that will taste really good it could be crunchy creamy whatever you like but your body can't absorb it oh gosh so basically it's like if you eat something plasticky or like swallow gum it'll probably just poop right out right oh my gosh enjoy the process so they're making food that's that's undigestible that's uneatable in a way just to please human beings so they can eat more yeah so you will be first of all you'll be consuming and you'll be happy consuming and so you want more they will advertise it as you know eat this and you'll zero calories Zero, nothing. Oh my gosh! Right, it will not diet yeah. hamburger. It doesn't have anything in it. Useful yeah, but it tastes good. At all, but exactly. it's yummy. <laughs> so I guess that can show how crazy, in a way, humans have become. Right, like my grandparents would not be able to understand this, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and that's how we've evolved and being led by these um, huge companies who are just, you know, with eyes just focused on profit. Mm. It's crazy. Oh yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. I want to talk about um, <sighs> afforestation, reforestation again, really sure. quickly, because, you know, that... oh, we have to mention the two nations that are doing a really good job, right? Well, which which nations are you referring to? I think uh, from my memory, Indonesia yeah. and Malaysia. Mm -hmm. Is that they are two of the countries? Let me go back to this. The data up here. Yes. Uh, Costa Rica and Indonesia, China and Malaysia. But of course, as we mentioned, it's a it's confusing to just look at the, you know, you know, when I first saw this, I thought the scientist or mathematician statistician who made this chart is either really smart and it doesn't realize how weirdly this is put or is trying to confuse people because this is literally what it says top 10 countries for reduction in <laughs> yeah, primary forest loss doesn't that it, it, when if you if you just look at it very quickly you might think these are the countries contributing to forest exactly. loss they confuse me but it too. actually is a double negative right. so they're reduction in loss they're cutting down less trees well they're, they're actually no they're, it's a reduction in loss literally means growth okay. anyhow so <laughs> tell us the numbers <laughs> yeah so indonesia is 64 percent as of 2022, that means they've adding adding forests back. Mm. Costa Rica, 63%. China, 60%. Malaysia, 57%. And on and on. So these countries are adding forests. But I wanted to talk. I had a guest. His name was Michael Crook. He's the head of the ICCIC. I, don't ask me what that stands for. Mm. But he has been. He grew up in China. He lived in England. He's actually his parents are from China, but they're from originally from other countries. I think Canada and England. Mm. Um, but he said. In like the 1960s in China, looking towards, you know, the forested west side of Beijing, which is completely a canopy of trees. Mm. And I never could have, I can't imagine it being any other way, that it was desolate wasteland of just dirt and rocks. Oh. Yeah. So he said that since the 1960s, way decades, way before people were really thinking about afforestation, mm. you know, Mao Zedong was like, let's start planting trees. So people were like, okay. And they just started planting trees. Mm. And now you look to the west of Beijing and there's this massive forest that goes on for dozens of miles. I've flown over it in an airplane before mm -hmm. and that just came out of nowhere so Whole like deserts have, has been replanted yeah yeah exactly like with plants not maybe not trees because they might not be able to grow mm -hmm. in the forest but like this particular kind of plant i think it's called social plant but in english i don't know its name literally like teams of uh farmers or they, they might you know have done other jobs i've seen documentaries i've edited you know, scripts for documentaries, mm -hmm. generations from one family, mm -hmm. from different mm -hmm. families, devoting their lives to replanting like an entire deserts. And they have done, they like China has erased a desert on its map, from its map. Mm. It's now green. Now, I think for other, you know, other people, they'll think, oh, that's impossible. You know, don't even try this. But this is the, this is where the power of will, like human will comes from. And it's not just a will that, you know, I, I can do the impossible, but there's honor in what they do. They know 
the purpose of what they're doing. I remember this one grandpa, like he's been in the sun, you know, planting trees with his wife for decades, just on a little motorcycle. And I think they've ruined like over 10 uh, motorcycles over the decades because they actually transport um, <laughs> the saplings, the little plants, and also water, just one trip and another from their house and to this huge area of forest. You know, his skin is all leathered, uh, dark brown. But he said that, you know, when I was a child, mm. this area was green. I've seen the documentary you're talking about. And then the, my son, similar. There are different ones, um, but there's, you know, different groups of people with the same inspiration uh, doing similar things. But he said, I want to return the greenness to this piece of mm -hmm. land, to my uh, offspring, like to my grandchild. He said, we've done enough damage. So like... That particular couple in that documentary, he was like the head of, um, I think, of the local village. He was already retired. He did not have to do any of that. He could have just lived like with his uh, kids in, in, in the county or in the city and enjoy a very comfortable retirement. But the couple, they stayed. They chose to stay like in the middle of the desert, literally very harsh conditions and keep planting and they've succeeded. Um, Maybe they like, I remember if this is from another one, like this old man who was a hundred years old and he was still planting trees. He was still planting trees with his uh, grand grandson and also his son. Like they've devoted at least three generations to doing this. They actually had, I think they made a little garden or some kind of um area devoted to, um, I think they named it the Santen centenarian what's the word like, i'm not sure like if someone is 100 years old you say he's a centenarian oh, a cent yeah the centenarian i'm not sure it, uh, something like something that. like that like there's this kind of garden because he you know it's it's a mark of the devotion of the of the family he was 100 and still planting mm. and he's seen the changes to the area it's possible and when they first started like decades 60 70 years ago he said he um the family sold the only valuable thing they owned, which was a hog. Mm. Now, this was like when times were really hard and the whole family would raise one hog and maybe kill it um, at the end of the year to celebrate the spring festival. Mm. But uh, the 100-year-old man, well, he was a young man back then, but he decided to sell it. And he used that money and bought a hundred, I think it was a hundred saplings for a certain tree. And out of all those 100, only one survived. But he was exuberant. He was so happy because he said this proves that this plant can grow. And then he just kept planting. And it was almost like, um, like that was the purpose of his life, he felt like. And it kept going for three generations. Well, you know, I like, I love the story and it's inspiring. But I think what we need is, <laughs> what we need are like three trillion trees. And there's what, eight billion of us? So I guess everyone in the world has sure. to plant like 500 or 600 trees. But I want to read one more statistic. This is from the Chinese National Forestry and Grassland Administration. And it's from 2021. Every minute, 12.7 hectares of forest or grass are planted in China. Wow. Well, that, gives, that also gives me optimism because these people you're talking about, they're just a few grains of sand among tens of thousands of people who are involved in these kinds of projects mm -hmm. across China. Yeah, it's you know, pretty amazing. We're out of time. So any last thoughts, baby? Um, well, I guess all of us can stay a bit more conscious, right? Know, mm. the, yes. know that though our abilities are limited, but we can do our part as a consumer to be more conscious when we go shopping, um, at least know the damage we could do or the benefit we could bring Absolutely. to our environment. All right. Well, thank you, Jason. Oh, yeah. If you have any ideas, listener, and you want to share them with us, please email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We'll be happy to read your comments on the air. Thank you for your time. And thank you for your time, baby. Yes. See you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.